0: Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Joining me today, not other lawyers, but other doctors, both uh, real doctors, not our jurist doctors, but anyway, we're going to talk about that issue. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. There's this thing going around called COVID. It may or may not be something that you've been aware of. No, um, i I make a slight joke, but honestly, obviously, we have all been drastically impacted by this financially, physically, emotionally, et cetera. So we uh, booked this show several months ago under the topic of the aftermath coming out of COVID, medical and legal challenges in the COVID age. Unfortunately, I think we might have been a little too quick on the aftermath part of it, but I still think it'll be really helpful to talk to our two wonderful guests today about some of the medical and legal challenges that we were faced with during COVID, from some interesting different takes, both as um, Rachel Permouth, the founder of Epidemiology and Behavioral Science Consultant and Principal Epidemiologist, as well as Dr. Vipul Kela. Kela, did I get that right? Kela. Kela. Sorry, I'm my bad. No problem. So I'm gonna have them take it away with their bios because it is awesome, and they've got a bunch of letters after their name that mean a lot more than my little ESQ. So I will, uh, I will put that on them.
1: Thank you, Jordan. Um, I'm sorry that we're going through this. This I'm sorry that we're going through this uh, aftermath discussion. I was.
0: Oh, all right. Oh. Well then, Rachel, you jump in, and hopefully,
2: oh. yeah, and the doc will come, come back. back. Yeah, so you know, you called me a real doctor. My son often doesn't agree because I'm not the M.D. I'm the Ph.D. It's like, Mom, you're you're not the real kind. I said, well, just you know, wait and see. Oh, Vipul, you're back.
1: Sorry I, about that. No,
2: you. No, Whipple, it's okay. You know, here's technical. the real M.D.
1: Go <laughs> so I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm My name is Kayla. I'm an emergency physician with some technical difficulties. <laughs> And, uh, I'm in the DC Maryland area. I've been practicing out here for 13 years in various emergency settings. Over the past 10 years, I've been doing a lot of medical legal work as well. Uh, over the past year, I've been immersed in COVID. So working in emergency rooms, ICUs, and I'm happy to give a frontline perspective about what's going on and to give, a, um, just additional thoughts of what's coming ahead. So thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Thank you for being here. And then Rachel
2: yeah sure so um i'm an epidemiologist by training my career is um pretty differentiated um started off after school in academia went to nih for 10 years and i thought i would be at national institutes of health forever um the climate changed there in 2009 2010 with a lot of you know just the funding was decreasing for everything for programs for our grantees and it was really time to make a move. Um, I moved to the private sector to a company called Sodexo. Sodexo, um, at its I guess at its peak before COVID, had four hundred and fifty thousand people um, employed there. It's headquartered in Paris, and it's a food and facilities management company. So I was the global global VP for their corporate sector, which means. Um, in that case, like, how do we protect the health of people in the workplace all around the world and in different industries? Um, and then again, with COVID and then some a personal health challenge, decided to leave Sodexo and found my own company, um, which is what you talked about, Jordan, like Epi and Behavioral Science Consultants. It's two parts. One part is an expert witness testimony group, and the other part is research, so consumer research, and my um, particular area is colon cancer research. So I think that gives you a little bit of my background.
0: And so obviously, this is going to be a very different topic that we've talked about, but as we unfortunately continue to deal with COVID in so many different ways, we are going to then have to start... Uh, I guess, continuing the litigation or litigating on COVID cases. And I think it'll be very helpful for us to hear the insight and wisdom of our two wonderful guests today. Before that, interestingly enough, uh, uh, we're going to talk about our previous episode. So at the end of this, if you want to learn more about how you grow your business by changing your habits and really go into the the mindset shift for growth, you want to listen to our previous episode that aired on Monday with Danya Hunt. Danya was a head Olympic trainer and strength and conditioning coach for Olympic teams who worked with athletes on them, achieving peak performance and now works with business owners on helping them achieve peak performance. And so it was really cool to hear what she had to share very much a mindset. Um, not emotional, but very much the, the concept of how your thoughts influence your actions, how to get in the right mindset to grow your law firms, but enough about that. Cause I am really interested to hear what we have to share today. When we're talking about medical and legal challenges in the COVID age, what are you all seeing? I guess let's start with the medical side and then let's work into the, the legal side. Um, what are you all still seeing as the biggest medical challenges that we're still getting impacted by with this?
2: Bethel, do you wanna?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, just from the medical standpoint, I think there's a lot that's still, that we still don't know because there's so much still happening in the ER space that um, we still have
0: Oh, all right.
2: Oh, no, <laughs> that's,
0: that's okay. Look, he's. It would be really funny if you guys were here to talk about how uh, the great IT platform you have, or something like that. But with yeah, uh, you're talking you're, uh, about COVID. I'll I'll take the issue.
2: Yeah. So I'll talk about it from the epidemiologic side. So epidemiology is really about um, the who, the what, the why, the where of a particular disease or 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 health event. It could be positive as well. So what we're seeing in the COVID age in the cases that i receive is like where did the virus come from so someone is sick or someone passes away um it's finding the origin of, of who gave them that disease and i see it again and again and again um so so proving through contact tracing proving through other data points um the likelihood of it came from a person x or y so i think figuring out that causal chain is very important Um, And I'm also seeing one fascinating thing that I'm seeing is in landlord tenant law, where um, we know all of the businesses had to close, many of them for a long time due to COVID. And so in New York, there was a case where uh, a landlord was suing a a tenant saying, you could have opened during this time from sometime during, you know, March, 2020 to May, 2021 you could have opened. And so it's showing from my perspective that medically, it was not safe to open um, due to several different data points. Um, So that's really what I'm seeing. It's a lot of the exposure and then resulting disease or, or infection.
0: So to the extent that you can share this, like, how, how is that contact tracing done? Because I mean, obviously, if if an office is exposed, people are gonna start showing signs at different times. So are you able to use that? Like who got it first is the one who brought it to the office or?
2: Not necessarily because the incubation period is is about, you know, five days. Like, so you could contract something at one time and then not show symptoms for three or four days, but still be infected. So and also, so how is contracting? Contact tracing done. It's different for every state, and then probably different from every like city or locality. If if there's any dispute, so in Maryland, here where I live, um, it's they've got a good system. If someone reports that they have been infected with COVID, um, they automatically start contact tracing. The person in the physician's office will say, you know, who they're in contact with and then someone from the government, uh, the state government, contacts them from there and does a lot of the tracing there, and they follow up, too, and they urge you to stay in quarantine. Different states may be differently different. The issue is, in the workplace, like you just mentioned, Jordan, um, there's no, some, some employers do contract tracing. But there's never been a set protocol per se that's consistent. You can use the CDC protocol for contact tracing, but I wouldn't say that. Uh, I wouldn't say that um, every employer does it. And sometimes there is. I talk about motivations, right? Sometimes there's no motivation for an employer to do contact tracing do you know what i'm saying um because they could be in big trouble so i i have a a case right now where i need to dig deep in terms of the tracing to figure out the origin but there's no data from the company right so um there's a very big disincentive among employers to do that tracing
0: yeah absolutely and it's one of those you know the uh not only the juice may not be worth the squeeze for some employers, but it might open them up to a lot more liability. And I know that's the issue of the personal injury brain slash running a personal injury firm with my wife, that we have found, you know, a lot of those unfortunate issues of people being, in essence, forced to work at a time when they should not have been right. around people who should not have been in the office. Um, but even then, it becomes very difficult to prove that tracing from a liability standpoint, or from a negligence standpoint.
2: Absolutely. I'm going to just text Vipple to tell him to try to go on his phone.
0: Sure. No problem. And I'm still having trouble. Uh, It looks like the Facebook feed's fine just on my end, so to everybody listening and watching, look, it's a Thursday, but it's a Technological Monday where nothing's going to work the way we want it to. I'm telling you. And we're just going to make it work. It's been 18 months of this. We're going to deal with it, so.
2: We're very flexible and very relaxed over here. So it's all good, it's all good.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, in the scheme of things, a, uh, a having some issues logging into a live show or watching it on Facebook for comments at the time frame don't matter considering we everything going so on. We should so lucky. Absolutely, right.
2: absolutely.
0: So walk me through, you know, to the extent that you can, and I understand it's it's case by case, it's situation by situation, but what are some things that can be done to do that contact tracing? Like from that personal injury Lawyer perspective, you know, what can we do to prove that it was transferred here to prove that there was negligence on the part of this employer, this business, this, whatever it's going to be along those lines.
2: Hmm. Oh, we got stuck, but okay. So you're asking what employers can do. No, no, no. So
0: we're, we've oh, got this gear for lawyers. So look, obviously our business attorneys, you all are in the toughest spot because you've got to advise in a bunch of different areas. Unemployment lawyers, you're doing the same thing. But so from the standpoint of being able to prove that, a, um, that there was negligence on the part of a business, that somebody contracted, they got hurt. I think that's going to be the thing that helps our personal entry attorneys and our business attorneys to, from both sides of that. You know, What are some things that we can do with you sitting in the expertise you have from the epidemiological perspective.
2: Sure. So I'm going to talk about it through the lens of a case. Um, I was given a case representing the plaintiff where, and this was in Florida, where she said that her employer, meaning her boss in this case, um, coughed on 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 her on purpose one and didn't use proper PPE in their facility. And this was a medical facility. So there was her testimony that said, even in this clinic, we're not encouraged to mask and um, because it would look bad, right? So what I had to show, um, you know, what's more probable than not was one, she got it from that individual, okay? um two she passed and so in this case so she was very sick she passed it on to a child um so two i had to show that it went from her to the child three that it was more likely than not that it came from that workplace right and then there was probably something else but that was enough (laughs) for that case
0: yeah no absolutely
2: So, so it involved um to show her um that she for let's take it in pieces I had to contract contact trace her right where was she did she go anywhere else according to different people she worked with did she go anywhere else et cetera? so that's one person the the defendant I had to find out where that person was and we found out through many sources that person was at a super spreader event two days prior um to this incident where he coughed on someone and the resultant infection
0: i'm going to jump in for a second yeah. we're in florida so florida super Spatter event would be anything in florida because it would
2: just be the whole state
0: right so just just to for anybody else listening i'll uh, i'll take the blunt of that of that unfortunate joke or unfortunate reality
2: no okay. no it's true look i live in florida sometimes i live in tampa sometimes so i get it um so so that next i had to show given his proximity to her uh, which was about a couple feet apart and the fact that he coughed i had to show that a cough in this proximity of a couple feet was enough to infect her and stay with her right so that's a lot of science about like particle distribution in the air and how long it stays into your throat And how, so for example, we talked about talking versus coughing versus sneezing versus singing. And so I used that literature to show that it was very likely if if that person coughed, then she got it. So what I'm trying to say is um, a lot of different data points from employees, from her, um, from her family, from the medical records, there's a lot to find out, but we made a very nice case and she settled, so.
0: So in best case scenario, is there a way where if you had the their test results that you could match it up or is it not, is that never possible?
2: Um, the test results of, so yeah. So he had tested positive Would you know, thank God we knew that. Um, but no, you you really, it's very hard to show where the, the infection came from. It's very hard. Um, it could come from anywhere. It could have come from another employee. It could have come from the outside. So you have to be really meticulous in your arguments. Um, and, and again, it's more probable than not that it came. So, you know, the advice for lawyers I have is just, you need a lot of data points. You can't, you know, a lot of data points supported by science and be methodical. Um, also, a lot of times I find that the attorneys use only MDs. Um, I think with COVID in particular, we've seen tons of cases of epidemiology, you know, of from using epidemiology because epi is about doing that causal pathway. So you've got the medical part and the epi part. And since Dr. Kella and I are partners, in our opinions, we fuse the two. So we cover it in one swoop instead of having the attorneys or the clients pay for two separate opinions. You just put it in one. And I think that's a good strategy, um, having the medical and the epi for these cases.
0: And So correct if I'm wrong, because I find these to be pretty similar to like the personal injury mold type cases. Is that correct?
2: To the multi-case? It, tell
0: mold, me your- mold. M-O-L-D? Mold.
2: Mold is super hard to to show right. the same process Okay. would be this, the process for epidemiology from cause, you know, exposure to outcome is the same. We use the same logic for every single, every single thing.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's, it's so different. I mean, obviously you have a car accident, which is usually on video, or at least there's 700 photos of the accident, or you've got a slip and fall, which is usually on video, or there's a bunch of witnesses or, you know, something along those lines, as opposed to this, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy to see how difficult it is to figure out to the benefit and detriment of people that don't deserve the benefit or don't deserve the detriment.
2: Um, I often see people who don't deserve the detriment were involved in lots of veterans cases and when they're doing claims. And a lot of times their exposures were decades ago, decades ago, 20, 30 years. Um, it could be from Camp Lejeune um, or it could be from the Gulf for anything like that, even going back to Agent Orange. Um, And when you don't have something that's, when they come up with a disease that's not on the presumptive list given by the VA, that's service-connected, you have a really hard time showing causality. Mm -hmm. Um, And and one of the points I just blogged about this, is there not enough data right? So there's no incentive on the part of certain people to collect that data, that health data. Um, but my point through all of this is collect as much data as you can and, and comb the literature because it's, it's not easy. Exposure and outcome is not easy um, in those cases.
0: So can you walk me through that a little bit more detail? So, you know, there's somebody sitting here at the law firm either the business is hiring them to defend or, you know, plaintiff attorney, they're being hired by the person who's hopefully didn't have a family member die, but unfortunately that's the reality for 600, something thousand people. Um, What does that attorney need to do ASAP to, to save this data, to collect this data, to, to put the case together as best as possible. And then obviously to bring in experts like you.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, the first thing is I think lawyers do this naturally is to get the chronology. The chronology of events the medical records um the any so medical records obviously are key but the chronology is key um and then in the case of say in the case of veterans it's very important to have what we call a buddy letter or someone who's i guess they're not impartial but can show that that this occurred in the case of personal injury, um, documentation of when you go to the doctor, what the symptoms are. The symptoms are critical because they help us link a disease. So we can have actually take the symptoms, get a disease code, comb the epi literature. Um, so it's a lot of journaling, I think, on the on the uh, beh- you know behalf of the of the client ascertain the the client's quality of life. That's very important. Whether work is impacted. So, you know, I think the hard part is an attorney could literally ask for many different experts, like a vocational expert, um, an epi, you know, a psychologist, an MD. Start with your MD um, and then then go from there. Does that help at all? It's just... uh,
0: Yes, very much so. Okay. So uh, the, along those lines, is there, is there technology we can ask for? I know like on the, the Fitbit or the Apple Watch or something like that, there's a way to set up. Okay, you're nodding yes. So yeah, can you talk yeah. to me a little bit more about some of the opportunities there?
2: Um, Vipple would be the one. But he's okay. <laughs> he's got tech. No, so like for example, when I'm tracking um, migraines and resulting problems, I use a migraine app right? There's the same for GI symptoms. There's an app. So I'm honestly very confident that there'd be, you know, in the fitness tracker, there's an app and you can talk about stress. So that's critical in PTSD or any resulting injuries from car and anything. There are apps. So that's a good way to do things. Similarly, people can just write it, write it down.
0: Yeah, I would. So then, so then I'll jump in. My, my legal my legal advice to other lawyers, not you to sure. specific clients, um, would be to obviously try and, try and do records to cell phone company, to social media company, to, I guess, Google owns Fitbit now, so maybe that would be um, in a similar realm along those lines, and try to have them preserve, if not give you access to whatever data they have, whether it's GPS, whether it's close contact, whether it's uh, some sort of monitoring. Because I think that would make your job a lot easier, Rachel, when it comes to that contact tracing. If you can show somebody's phone only left the house to go to work, it may be easier to show that they got yeah. exposed at work.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great, um, that's a great idea. What else was I gonna say about that? No, I think I think that's about it. You know, it's just collecting a lot of data and people aren't ready to launch their cases. You know i think the lawyers often say just collect your data go to your appointments right like get all your medical care document and then and then we're off off and running
0: so is there along those lines is there any other advice lawyers should be giving their clients when it comes to this stuff
2: oh gosh i don't know <laughs> like don't post too much on it on social media, fair so, enough. I, I mean, that's a disaster.
0: So, let me, let me flip it a little bit. Then, are there other things that we can do to make your job easier that we can, you know, freeze that moment in time better, give you access to more information or resources to do your job easy, better, easier, more effectively? You know, I often
2: come in where there are no records, there's like okay, nothing. and I'm like, do you have this? Do you have that? No. So, on this current case where uh the plaintiff passed and they're suing the employer like i'm having to go do the tracing myself do um i'm looking at social media i'm not getting much i'm trying to figure out if anything else went wrong with that employer with covid i look at um what is the what is the company that gives employee reviews why am i flaking glass Oh, 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 I okay. definitely look at ocean. You know, so, it, you know, in food outbreak cases, you've got great, ideally great data from NIOSH and CDC. You know, I can get that in the state, you know, but um, what can you do to make it easier? Give me some records, but a lot of times you don't, you don't have them.
0: Makes perfect sense. Of those, it's going to be different, obviously, every record, every company I know, but like, is there a consistent... 30 days where some of this stuff gets destroyed or written over, or is it,
2: it shouldn't, it shouldn't be. I mean, these, when someone, so when someone contracts COVID, there's a permanent record. Right. But I don't know if that's at the workplace. I think that's different depending on each workplace. Is that what your workplace, is that what you're asking?
0: Uh, to some extent, I mean, look, I, I know a little bit about this, but way too little. So that's why I'm just, I'm trying to make sure we cover all of our bases and getting the best information out to other attorneys so that they can do the best job possible when they're confronted with these issues.
2: You know what? I'm going to end up leaving in the Facebook, I'm going to leave, leave a list of things that people should be asking for. Perfect. Um, and that will help me just jog my memory. But a lot of times it's not there And, and individual employers do things very differently. Um,
0: makes total sense. So as we get, so what else do you want to make sure that we cover when it comes to these, I guess for the most part, now we're talking about legal challenges in the COVID age. What are some of the other things that maybe people aren't considering that they need to be aware of?
2: Um. So I guess in terms of this variant, I'm going to just talk about this variant Delta. It's much worse than, than people have thought. We're, we're kind of, lots of us are vaccinated, thank God, but um, we talk about the viral load of a variant, and that kind of means, like, how likely it is to stay in the fluid in your body so it's transmissible. So Delta, compared to our original variant, is 1,000 times more sticky. That means if you have it, whether you're vaccinated or not, you're going to spread it. You're likely to spread it. So it's it's very dangerous. And I just see now new cases coming about in family law where um, parents are arguing whether a child gets vaccinated or not, so Mm. the parents have that. And you have to know what the most important data sources will be. So in that case, you need the child pediatrician, their input is first and foremost, and then you're gonna need information about their special activities, the child and where they go. Then you're gonna need information about the family health conditions, if there's any like Anything people should know about the family or the child. So those are the things I'm just trying to like get across that multiple data sources are needed. And I think it'll, it'll help when I lay it out a little bit in the, in the comments or
1: um.
0: Sure. Um any other before we before we hit towards the end of here any other insight wisdom guidance tips tricks you want to make sure that you share with our listener watchers before we finish this live stream
2: yeah i guess i don't know you maybe can answer this better than i can jordan but like a lot of times i find that the lawyers are waiting forever to file the case or Mm. just to get moving Um, and they let the experts just hang out there and nothing's happening, experts can start for you right away. There's a lot to go into writing these opinions. So that's one. The other is to be patient with the science. You can see how we're changing like daily, weekly. Um, So to keep current, because the opposing side will knock your arguments down. So when you have the, when you're making your arguments, especially in these COVID cases, you have to be really careful about citing the date where it came out, the source. I mean, if things changed, which they do during the course of this um, COVID, you'll cite different different parts in time. I had to do that with a landlord-tenant. So they're saying, "Oh, it's safe all the time." Well, what about this time period? What was the positivity rate in the city? What you know? Who, what other COVID cases were there? You've really got to timestamp your your arguments So
0: along those lines. So like from a negligence perspective, that what somebody did was unreasonable. If you've got a business following CDC guidelines, as the CDC guidelines change, then is that something that the, I, I'm assuming that's something that the lawyers need to be aware of, that like what they were doing might have been reasonable in. Absolutely. Okay.
2: Absolutely. So we get this a lot, like in nursing homes, if a, if a, um, a resident passed or got sick were they doing the best they could at the time, given the guidelines? Plus, given their, remember at the beginning of COVID, maybe even still now, you you didn't have enough PPE. So what was their ration of PPE at the time? Were they doing the best they could with what they had? Because people will not, you know, a lot of these organizations did not get a full set of ventilators or a full set of masks. Did they do the best with what they had? but since the guidance changes all the time, yes, I, I cite when the, when the CDC guidance changes, it's critical, it's critical. Um, as long as the businesses are following the guidance and can demonstrate that they did, um, they're in pretty good shape. Follow the CDC guidance, you know, that, that can kind of, dismantle a defense, right? If they're if, um, if someone's not following that.
0: So does that apply also to like vaccines? Because I know, like, we're at a point now where it's pretty, obviously, it's politically motivated, but like, it's legitimately interesting to see, I think, from the legal perspective of being approved for emergency use versus being fully approved versus that relates to like especially government jobs like what you can and can't mandate um, for vaccines based upon state stuff as well like it's fascinating and terrifying to me as are most legal things yeah
2: i think vipo would be better than but when would be a better person to answer but i will say once the vaccines are fda approved you're gonna have a lot more trouble um how do i say it um Proving that you can't get a vaccine. You, you know what I mean? So, like the argument that I, I scared of it, or it's not in my belief system, unless you have the religious beliefs, it's going to be very difficult, um, much more difficult um, when FDA approval goes through.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, I'm at the age now where we have a number of friends who have been pregnant throughout this and some of them are like, I want my vaccine. Like, I want the vaccine. Like, let me get cleared. You know, the pregnancy stuff. Um, And so it just creates a whole other can of worms there, but it is what it is, I guess. We're all, hopefully I am, I fall back on, I hope that everybody is doing that which they think is right and that which they think is most helpful for uh, their fellow human being, but.
2: Oh, I talk about this as the, in the behavioral science realm. People don't tend to do what's right for humanity, right? So in a cognitive process, you've got, when you're thinking about motivation or human needs, you go to the individual needs as primary, then you expand to your social circle, usually your family, right? Then you get to your friends, like friends and like people you work with. Then you get to society. <laughs> so it's not a natural instinct to do things for humanity. It, it, it never goes that way. And um, when decisions are made under duress and fear, it's even worse. So Um, people aren't as logical or as reasoned when influenced by fear. And and we know this intuitively, right? But it's real. It's real.
0: Well, I mean, we're on Facebook, so you can go to other corners of Facebook and see this happening in real time across people that would probably like each other if they were in person, but with a computer screen and two keyboards between them, are more than willing to do God knows what and say God knows what to each other.
2: I know. I wonder, so it's interesting, usually the pleas that are most effective are the one-on-one pleas with um, rationale. So if I were to say, you know, you can't just do these platitudes of like my body, my choice, or you can't just say, do it for your fellow humans. No. So the most influential is the one-on-one. So if I were to say to a person who is not pro-mask, you know, I I implore you, would you please do this for me? Your mask is to protect me, mine is to protect you, and I'm going to tell you that my son has, you know, a disease that makes him immunocompromised, and I have no trouble admitting this, and I'm going through chemotherapy. So if I humbly ask a person to, to mask up for me, and they don't that's where i have the problem especially after the rationale right so arguments have to be very specific and we get into these generalities and that's it's just no good
0: makes total sense and and that's why you know it's interesting because as you say that i'm remembering every billboard that's like this is phil phil bikes to work watch out for bike lanes it's so much more impactful than like don't hit a biker with your car because like (laughs) yes shocker i didn't want to do that to begin with so uh, we're learning we're learning all right so i don't think vipple's gonna join us so we'll uh that's all right i hope he's i mean obviously he's okay i hope his technology gets fixed before he's not doing any uh telemedicine or something for somebody so our um next episode a little bit different i know i say this every week guys for those of you that watch the show our next episode is going to air on monday at 2 30 eastern time not 1 30 eastern time 2.30 2.30 Eastern time, we've got Dan Wynn coming to us to talk about making your mark the best tips to protect your brand. So that will be next Monday at 2.30 Eastern time, not one thirty, an hour later than normal. Hopefully that gives you that much more time to get everything done so you can focus on a wonderful chat that we're gonna have. And for those of you that don't know Dan, uh, he and I have similar senses of humor. So I am thinking that it will be an enjoyable must watch episode. Maybe one of us will say something funny. Uh, hopefully we both will. So with that though, I'm not going to let you go before we get that final nugget of wisdom. So people have been listening for about 40 minutes. If they remember nothing else that you said, what's your biggest piece of advice on how people can be the exhibit A of a successful attorney?
2: Um, take a grid, make it, call it your data grid. And when you are thinking about, even if you have a casual five minute talk with an expert or or you need to know the data elements you're going to collect and just check them off because without the right robust set of data you're not and you're you know you're you're not going to go far. Also the person who you're working with if an expert should be able to give you the other side's arguments, right? So um a, you know, you want to combat that. So I I often say to the attorney they're going to say this, this and this. So do you have records on this? What, you know, how did they feel then? Are you sure they were only at their house? You got to be darn sure where in the case of COVID where people are. And so I love the idea of the of the, the geo-tracking.
0: That is an amazing point. And I want to echo that again for everybody. Your experts should be giving you the other side's arguments. That is humongous. Rachel knows more about all of this than we should ever have to learn. So when you hire her or experts like her, make sure that they are going that extra step, give the other side's arguments to let you preempt it with ideally hard data. So if not, then you got to make the right argument.
2: Yeah. And I'll say, so in the Facebook link under, under this, um, webinar, I'll put vipples in my contact information again, he's an ER physician, but he has experience well beyond that into nursing homes into rural different many different settings um and you can ask us questions and I, again i'm an epidemiologist so i'll put my info there
0: wonderful well on that note thank you so much for joining us today
2: thank you for having us it's been a pleasure yeah, or, well, this... mostly me vipple will say it is pleasure too
0: i know i mean i wish i wish he had uh been able to hang out with us but you know what we're at the mercy of technology so better I will say better to be dealing with all of this now than had we have been through COVID like 30 years ago when we we're all on like a conference line hoping that our uh, phone signal didn't drop out.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Appreciate it.
0: And of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com. E-A-S-E.